Friends, nobles, comic book men, the end is nigh. Yes, we've reached the finale of the extended, magical, wonderful first season of Batman the Animated Series. Here we are with our 59th episode and the 65th episode of Batman the Animated Series, The Worry Men. One I do remember seeing before, but have completely forgotten about, so enjoyed immensely with me. As always, is my own personal haberdasher, Hatman, Mr. Adam Ray. Hello, it's uh, good to get ourselves squarely away, us fell suited and size 10 over 6. <laughs> we worry needlessly about whether this is a new antagonist because we should have really seen that the mind control would have been fairly obvious from the beginning from mm-hmm. these strange little worry dolls. But yeah, this is very unique and. Very retro vintage sort of episode in this way. Just some people are going out of their minds. Even Bruce Wayne can be saved from the worry men. That looks that sounds so sixties, doesn't it? It's wonderful. As you say, it's a true, honest love letter to the Silver Age from giant props and masks and little wooden effigies and colourful characters dressed in um typical South and Central American lore. It's just a fun, fun episode. And after getting one of the characters created in the last half of Batman's 80 years with Scarface in the last episode, going back to a classic antagonist with the Mad Hatter in this one was a lovely way to close out the first season, I think. I'd say so as well. But then again, also just having um, someone new in Scarface into someone uh, classic like a Mad Hatter just shows the scope of time that Batman's been around and the scope of villains that Batman's been treated to, honestly... I struggle to try and remember any any other hero, even in fiction, who has such a diverse and interesting rose gallery. The only people who come close to the Flash and Spidey. Yeah, Spider Man's very good. Yeah. Um, the Flash has his yeah, the Flash is pretty good. Because even with because uh, even with my own love of uh, video gaming, when you think of your classic heroes, your Sonic and your Mario, you're only stuck with Eggman and Bowser. Yeah. You get one-off exactly. villains, but you don't get that spread of characters yes. that Batman has been fortunately treated to. Absolutely, absolutely. And I love the way that, yes, we perhaps we should have guessed that it was Mad Hatter, but it was a twist. They've done something new. Rather than just control minds, he does it in a way that completely disarms his victims by taking away their worries, making them happy and carefree, giving them a good night's rest. And that's what threw me off. I thought, oh, is this this South American dude, is he the villain? Hmm. He's a trained fighter. He's holds his own against Batman. He obviously, he um, is a beautiful moment where he looks at him and probably sees him as an Incan bat god or something where that's taken by surprise. But it's only when he opens it up and the chips inside the little worry man doll that I think, oh, oh Steve, yeah. of course. Well, to be honest, I was completely thrown of it being Manhattan. Now that I look a bit back knowing in Manhattan, it's a nice touch to yeah. show that it's, Something away from the Alice in Wonderland, Alice Looking Glass sort of motif. We were pleasantly surprised by that change. That yes, we can see this fairly by the by the theme villain going off and doing something a little bit different. That's a pleasant surprise that I'm very happy to have seen. Absolutely. And do you not think it was clever the way that the writer Paul Dini, who we know is one of the greatest of all time, and director Frank Power have made this a Mad Hatter episode, but we still had appearances from ish riddler joker harley penguin and some of the other classics as well in mad hatter's toy shop when it got to the uh, dramatic conclusion i and we saw mad hatter sort of like scheming with his uh his mayan aztec sort of goons 
uh, I was very interested to see all of the little models and waxworks yes. and statues of all of the other bad guys. So I was like, oh, that's a pleasant surprise. But then I wasn't expecting them to just sort of like come to life as sinister death machines in the actual yep. final fight. But that's a really satisfying, really fun moment there that just... Yeah, that I thought was really fun and satisfying. Yeah, it's, it's lovely because we get the modern Batman, the Dark Avenger of the Night, and again, some beautiful uh, colour on black paper animation with him stepping out of the shadows again. We saw a bit of that in the last episode, and that's stuff I love. But we also got that lovely gold and silver age bit of nonsense with a giant Joker jack-in-the-box and the marionette Harley and all those wonderful things that I read as a kid that made me a Bat fan in the first place. Those things are like a lot of fun, and probably don't fit super well very now but still very 60s but because of the way that the dc universe is set up yes. now all of those stories matter all of those stories mm-hmm. fit somewhere so yeah them sort of having that kind of level of respect going back into those characters is honestly a lot of fun and i'm happy to have seen it yeah it's good because you see that people like paul dini clearly grew up reading the Golden and Silver Age classics, and it's part of their formation as Batman creators as well. So even though they want to give us the modern, dark, edgy Batman, they still remember their childhoods and their fandom too. And I think that's also part of the charm of the show, because we did get that sort of noir, grim, mafia, edgy Batman, even as recently as the previous episode. So the fact that there's the opportunity Mm. for sort of grim, dark... Uh, grassroots uh, street-level crime stories as well as this over-the-top superhero versus supervillain grandiose giant props battle. It's amazing that Batman has that kind of range. Yeah. Because with a lot of other superheroes, it's either like high cosmic like Superman or Green Lantern where it's only going to be high energy sort of stuff like that and space villains and evil geniuses. Uh, But you'll also get people's like your questions and your... um, uh, a very sort of street level and very into mm-hmm. into integral yeah. and thought uh, driven sort of characters like that. That sure you're going to get one or the other. It's I think Batman's power is lended to the fact that he can do both. And that's why he's going eighty plus years, going strong, and he's still the most inarguably. I know I'm biased, but he's still the most popular comics character on planet Earth. Really, so and it's great to see him still strong eighty years on. Yeah, I mean. There is this complaint that there's Batman Overkill, Joker Overkill, every other miniseries that comes out is Batman-focused, but has any of it been bad? No. While it's consistently good, bring it on. It's if they spread him that thin that he starts to lose his appeal and the best writers and artists don't want to write or draw him, then I'll say it's Overkill. But while we're getting the level of storytelling we're getting, then... Keep it, keep it coming on. We recently watched the Long Halloween animated movie. <sighs> Perfection. So keep bringing me Batman as long as it's good Batman. Yep, and good Batman, that Long Halloween adaptation was. You can find it on our on our podcast website. But oh, we're yes. talking about much more classic Batman yes. animation Very in classic. the form of the Warrior So, yeah. Mm. So... The little wooden characters who I've already fallen in love with and you've already had a little giggle at me at when I saw the one at the very end of the episode and said, I want one. I'm We're sitting in <laughs> our shared office, but uh, it started out as his office, so a lot of the decor is down to him. Uh, he's showing me a an action figure of that Batman the Animated Series Batman right there on the main bookshelf alongside uh, a bat signal searchlight, a little chibi Batman uh, power bank, uh, a Batman egg cup holding a spoon, 
the Batman and Joker Lego facades right next to a classic Batman rubber ducky. Does it quack if you squish it? I don't it? know, actually. Sort of. That was the weirdest ASMR you've ever got, but you heard it here first. Uh, but yeah, the man who even claims to want more Batman memorabilia wants one because it was there to give our bad guy a bit of pause at the end of the episode. Well, I don't have a little wooden carved Batman, do I? You don't have a little wooden carved Batman by a Mayan shaman. There you go. See. Do you want a little Batman carved by a Mayan shaman? Yeah. We can go to we can go to Machu Picchu if you want. We can go to Mexico. I'm sure they will have it. What's a Machu Picchu? Sorry. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye now. <laughs> He's going to walk out now. I'm sorry, son. I'm made of puns. But um, that's the kind of level of fun that this episode brings. It's as camp as Christmas, but still vintage classic Batman storytelling. Yeah, we get the strong elements of mystery there from the beginning as we see a strange figure sort of make their way across and crash a high society party into Bruce Wayne acting in a very peculiar way. So weird. Leaving a lot of the city in chaos into us following his detective plans to find out who the bad guy is, what they're doing, and Batman stopping him. It's a done tradition is a done formula but we get so many changes to the formula of as to who the bad guy is and how they're doing things especially when their motives are so unclear or the means that they're doing this is so unlike them like we got in this episode yeah. that we're really rewarded for uh, following the story in a surprising way and do you not find it again really refreshing that he wanted this the hatter to be his final crime spree and to go and retire on a nice little island somewhere. This wasn't like your typical career criminal. All they want to do is test Batman or be tested by Batman. All they want to do is go out there and cause chaos or watch the world burn. He just wanted to get some cash, go away and retire. And the big bad bat came and spoiled it all. Well, he couldn't have used his genius to revolutionise computer science. He couldn't have used his um, costuming work to tell stories to, to children on children's TV. He didn't decide to use himself as a literary expert on the writings of Lewis Carroll. No, he decided to steal things. Of course, that's something that Batman's going to intervene on. And of course, who did he steal from? The Bruce yeah, Wayne. Bruce Wayne and the other <laughs> elites of Gotham. So he was doomed to failure. If he hadn't have gone for Bruce, he might just gotten away with it. You think so? Nah. <laughs> it's Gotham City. Batman would have got involved eventually, but he tipped his hand too quickly with the wrong person. Evidently so, yeah. But still, uh, the means with which he did it, that little mind control tech in those tiny little uh, marionette, uh, little Warrior dolls, yeah. was very effective because we Absolutely. saw Bruce Wayne carefree striding along, just being very chatty to his secretary. And it was bizarre. So bizarre. Because he was just there whistling along like there's no care in the world, doing the classic sort of like hat, tip your hat, fling the hat thing, like it was... Classic Sean Connery Bond. Yeah, very Sean Connery Bond. <laughs> but still, it was just so strange to see someone like that moving without any worries, which is ironic considering what Ms. Veronica said. Oh, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> what a line. The man who lives without worries or something <laughs> like that. And how wrong could she be? It's little touches like that that just make me smile from ear to ear. It's great because we both said it. He puts on this um, carefree facade as Bruce Wayne, hence the line from Veronica. 
But when you actually see it, when you walk into the offices of Wayne Enterprises, which is something he probably does once a year, if that, mm. and he's genuinely happy, genuinely unconcerned, whistling a merry little ditty, flinging his hat on the coat rack, walking to the office and giving away $20 million as if it was, as if it was a bar of chocolate. And we're just both looking and thinking, Whoa. this is, I mean, you, did, you were really diplomatic. So this was bizarre. This was effed up is what yeah. it was. Uh, this is a family show, but this was effed up. Yeah, just a little bit because we can, <laughs> we know that Veronica only said that because the Bruce Wayne facade is so yes. good. But honestly, seeing it in actual practice is just not right. We know <laughs> we know where it came from because yeah. Alfred was a little bit enchanted by the idea of the Warrior Men dolls actually being able to take your worries away. So we just slipped it under Bruce Wayne's pillow just to hopefully do him a little bit of good. But he didn't realize that he wasn't actually doing Bruce Wayne good. He was doing someone else, someone much more insidious, some good. But still... It led to us getting involved in the mystery. And honestly, yeah, it was a surprising turn. To s- I like it when it shows that when we get the episodes where we show that Bruce Wayne is the one in peril. We, we had that yes. wonderfully in one of the episodes I covered uh, with, um, I guess, where... Uh, no, I didn't cover that one with Sandy. Uh, but still, the episode where Bruce Wayne was blinded? Yeah, you covered that with Sandy. Oh, I did Blind cover that with Sandy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did cover that with Sandy. Uh, fun episode. Yeah, seeing him imperiled is a nice touch and a little bit of extra drama to really get us invested in, oh, we've got to make sure Batman's okay. So he has another thing to fight for other than keeping the peace in the streets of Gotham. Absolutely. And it's very telling, of course, that poor old Alfred, the surrogate father, the man, honestly, who really did raise Bruce, just wanted to give him one night without nightmares one night carefree, one night where he wasn't out there putting life and limb at risk to save Gotham and letting him have a night's sleep, and then ending up giving away a chunk of his fortune to the Mad Hatter. I mean, good old Alfred. Oh, God, I miss him in the comics. I'm so glad we've got this show to watch where we have Alfred almost every week. It's it's beautiful. Yep, uh, he's a consummate, consistent character in Batman's life. And yeah, his absence is very huge in the comics right now, but uh, nobody says dead in comics for very long. Oh, I hope you're right. Nobody says that in comics for very I long. know it's a common trope that they never stayed there, but this is one character who I honestly believe never should have died in the first place. The writer didn't want to do it. The then powers that be that DC, who are no longer there, made him do it. And, oh, I miss you, Alfred. But I've still got all these classic animations, all my thousands, not hundreds, but thousands of Batman comics to relive your adventures. But damn, I miss you on the printed page, my friend. I have a very faith, but in the meantime, we get him acting with the best intentions in this episode. But still, those intentions weren't for the best for Bruce, they were for the best for our insidious villain, the Mad Hatter, who's honestly true to form here as the mind-controlling and uh, uh, tech genius. Yep. Good old Jervis Tech. We go from the consummate gentleman, Mr. Pennyworth, to the rogue and scoundrel that is the Mad Hatter. Yes, indeed. We get him uh, committing to the uh, the Mayan sort of aesthetic and hope that the warrior men sort of bring forth and just uses that in the big garish costumes. One of them sincere, one of them, and the rest of them are just gutter trash. That, uh, oh, that bit him on the butt. Yep, that was a bit of honesty that uh, caused him a bit of undoing, which is uh, something I admit I saw coming, but was still very satisfied to have seen. Yes. That that moment when the illusion and the spell was broken, when Batman was going to get French revolutioned, 
uh, <laughs> was a very nice Madame touch. Guillotine. Yeah, I mean that's that's what happens, right? The yep. French Revolution. Yep. Good old Robespierre. Anyway, um, it's a nice, satisfying thing that they were able to keep consistent. But then again, uh, Tetch was always prepared to sort of find their way out of it. Yes, indeed. Uh, it's it's always good when the master manipulator and the bully gets their comeuppance. And it's it's an age-old thing where you think you're the boss, but the tighter you squeeze, the more is going to slip through your fingers. And when the mind control was over and the gutter trash woke up, well, they got their own back, as did the poor, hapless Mayan witch doctor who was just there to retrieve his, his wares. It was brilliant. Really, really was. And... I think that's also really satisfying and just like a very commonly done, but still nice to see that it's such a strong trope. Um, it's a done thing for particularly antagonistic and almost bully-like mm, villains yes. to get overdone by their cronies who are just so sick of being under the thumb. Yep. And what's heartbreaking is Jervis Tetch's history, even on this show where he honestly was one of the bullied, one of the oppressed, and rather than learn from it, he actually became the bully and the oppressor. And that makes this character, again, that much more layered, textured, believable, and interesting as a character. Yep. And then when you couple that again with his uh, sort of weird pride when he says that he found the the witch doctor as just an honest craftsman trying to sell his wares and then make him a slave, that almost makes me feel like a... Specifically because they've cast an English actor yep. and uh, someone we've Absolutely. had makes it feel like a very weird sort of like colonialist sort of yes. grasp on that which is a very strange thing to sort of think about but then again that's uh emergence is a very satisfying thing right at the end no you've read my mind because when i was going to come to our usual spot of standout moments things that struck you that was actually going to be my mention oh wow, okay the fact that it was the great colonial guy um taking advantage of the natives and you you called it you saw something that I saw as well, which I was going to bring up, and you and you beat me to the beat oh, to the punch. Sorry to have taken no, money. Yeah. Brilliant! I'm, I'm glad you spoiled it as well because it's little subtle bits of storytelling like that that often go over the viewer's head and show again how amazing this series is. That attention to detail, that attention to history, and that look at America's past, which isn't that nice. No, and. It's brilliant to see. Yep, and it's a very heavy theme that you really yeah. wouldn't get in a lot of other no Saturday morning stuff. So the fact that they're able to do it, but do it in a tasteful way that's sort of implied but isn't exactly. the big thing of the theme because a lot of shows, when they do address this sort of stuff, they make that sort of like the be-all and end-all of the episode, which would really bog it down. Yes. The fact that they sort of like have that as implied here, but then we see it overcome and just get addressed very, uh, very effectively right off the bat we get a feeling that, yes, we can go through the story and we're, we're satisfied with it. Yeah, it's a brilliant and important message, but they don't smack you around the head with it. Exactly. It's really cleverly done. And the most beautiful part is, um, again, growing up in the 70s, I watched a lot of old 40s, 50s and 60s cowboy movies where the Native Americans are painted as the savages and the villains. And to get at the end of this episode, this witch doctor freed from the mind um from the brainwashing freed from the slavery being merciful being much more civilized than the so-called um british uh mad hatter and demanding justice and mercy again subtle brilliant clever so brilliant clever and a respectful characterization for 
uh, character that you'd otherwise not expect that kind yeah. of level of attention to. So yeah, very well handled on their part. Yeah, really, really good. So again, we, we've actually covered what was going to be my takeaway from the show, which was that look back at the history of oppression and the savages being the most civilised of us all. But um, what was your main takeaway, your plus, your minus, your um, main impression from this episode? Honestly, it was just a little bit of fun, really. I'm a big fan of the YouTube group, The Achievement Hunters. They Mm -hmm. play a lot of video games online and they have this running gag called uh they have this little running gag involving moon balls which is just like these like balls that you that bounce really Boing. well yeah, yeah bounce really well i think like dog treats dog toys or something but they work in an office full of a lot of computers Uh-oh. but whenever there's like an unspoken rule among them that whenever they say moon ball and just chuck a moon ball they're absolved of any responsibility and consequences <laughs> wow that's huge. I love so that. I just honestly thought, hey, they didn't call Moonball when the uh, Witch Doctor right at the beginning just threw that one ball yeah. and then it bounced all around the rooftop and knocked out, knocked out Batman. It did a Captain America shield on Batman. It was yeah. a beautiful thing to see that there's someone out there who's trainees on a par with Batman himself. Absolutely. Yeah. Another thing that I think is actually particularly stand out about the episode and something I'm surprised we didn't touch on yet is that they can get award-winning icons of science fiction and award-winning actors in bit parts. Yes, that was going to be my next takeaway after you uh, very cleverly spotted the first one. Yes, indeed. In a bit part, as a character I don't think we see again, and I don't remember from the comics, but again, listeners, if you have got a better memory than my adult 50-plus-year-old brain, then do let us know. But the legendary Academy Award-winning Star Trekking hero and one of my favourite actors of all time, LeVar Burton has a bit part as one of the billionaires who's uh, brainwashed by one of the Littlewood Mori men. And we knew it was him the moment he spoke, didn't we? Yep, his voice was particularly clear. I had to listen for a little second because I was only reasonably sure. But then as the character continued, as uh, Veronica was handing out these Mori men, I was like, yes, that is LeVar Burton. Wow, Geordie, what are you doing here? Yep. But pleasant surprise. A huge surprise, and again, we say it every week. How did this show, just starting out, um, ending its first year, manage to nail characterization and hire some of the best, not just voice acting talent, but some of the best acting talents in TV stage and screen we've ever had? I mean, you tell me which cast you've seen in any other TV show that can match the 65 episodes we've seen of Batman the Animated Series. Well, just looking at LeVar Burden alone, yeah. um, that was this, this episode was, what, 91, roughly? Uh, nice to be 1993. Okay, but, um, but Next Gen was still on TV at this point, wasn't it? Oh, God, yeah, it was. It ended in 90... Well, you were born in 95... And it ended when you were about, what, three or four? Something, something like that. Like that. So, yeah. I, so Next Gen was still about. So, Absolutely. So they got LeVar Burton on... A superstar. A superstar yeah. and, like, household name on Star Trek just to come into Warner Brothers and just record something for, like, what, 20 minutes? Yeah. Cool, huh? Yeah, pretty cool. But then you get some of the award-winning writing that they've had guesting yes. on the last episode in particular. You can look at the the reams of accolades that we've got in some of the other characters. And then you get someone who calls back to the superhero genre in the form of Adam West playing the Grey Ghost. They're like, great. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, the cast has been so strong for something you'd never expect to be in a show like this. And again, British acting royalty, uh, someone I adored growing up, Rodney McDowell reprising his role as the Mad Hatter as well. 
This is an episode which, at first glance, is a throwaway little adventure, has got deep texture behind it, and honestly, a very fitting end to a wonderful 65-episode first season. It's memorable and hits a lot of very difficult themes very well. It's honestly truly remarkable, and I'm excited to see where the show will evolve to next. Yes, and we're going to get a lot more stuff that... Not only have you never seen before, but even I have never seen before. So I cannot wait. Listeners, hopefully you'll join us in the next step as we head into season two of Batman the Animated Series on I Am The Night. But until we do start that, hey, Adam, where can the world find you? I write many Batman-flavoured things on sister site Dark Knight News. I I review multiple titles a month. But for my true love, PC and tabletop gaming, you can find me talking about gaming across all fleet fields on our website, fantasticuniverses.com. It'll be usually flavoured around card games because that's my speciality and my obsession. But for gaming in a broader sense, you can look to my articles and reviews on .gg.com. Not, no, .gg.gg, as confusing as that may be. Um, and for Dungeons & Dragons-specific supplements to boost your games, you can look to the Apotheosis Studios blog. Follow me on Twitter at IsItTinkerer, and for your visual media, you can find me dungeon mastering D&D games on No Ordinary Heroes, find me playing games on Gilding Light, and find my various PC let plays on the Hostile Atmosphere on YouTube. If you're a gamer, check that stuff out. It is very, very cool. As for me, I'm on this show most weeks with Adam, every now and then with a special guest, and here we are at the end of season one. Who'd have thunk it? Uh, over a year ago, we started this. We're still going strong. We're still loving every minute. You can also hear me on the main DC Comics news podcast on this very network and occasionally on Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast too. On the network, you'll also find Kelly Gaines' DCN After Dark on YouTube and Seth Singleton's The Spinner Rack, where he tries to help us save money by telling us which he thinks are the best five DC Comics releases every single week. For my written work, just hit Steve J. Ray or Fantastic Universes in your search engine of choice to take you to Fantastic Universes, DC Comics News, Dark Knight News, and CBR to read my news, reviews, and interviews. Talk to me on Twitter at lstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. But until you do, he's Adam Ray. He's the Knight. Together, we are the Knight, and this has been another episode of the I Am The Knight podcast. Thank you for listening, and until next time, read more comics. And please watch more Batman. Thank you for listening. Bye now. (laughs) 